Welcome back to The Pilgrim Soul, a podcast about the journey of faith in the world of today. I'm your host, Sophia. And I'm Juliana. And welcome to this episode about prayer. This was your idea for an episode, Julie. Do you want to talk a little bit about what made you pick it? Yeah, so we've talked a lot about finding Christ in your day-to-day experience, your relationships, your work, your difficulties. But in all of these conversations, we've always turned to prayer as part of the answer when we ask, how do we live this particular experience well? Right. So I think it's worth exploring in detail. I agree. When I'm reflecting on my own life and my own journey of trying to learn how to live all these aspects of my life better, I think that the turning point in a lot of them was when I began to pray personally and made a commitment to regular dialogue with God. Um, And so I'm really excited to talk about our understanding of prayer and what kinds of prayer in our life nourish our relationship with God and give us the energy and the desire to go out and live our work and our relationships and everything else well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, it's not an optional part of the Christian life. Right. (laughs) Prayer interacts with our life in a reciprocal way. Our life experiences lead us to prayer and prayer in turn allows us to face our reality and live it more fully. Yeah, there definitely is a a bi-directional path there, isn't there? So if we want to start at like the 40,000 foot level, how would you define prayer? Like what would you say that in general prayer is? So in its most essential form, prayer is a dialogue. It's the raising of your heart and mind to God and the listening for his response. Beautiful. To your point that this isn't an optional aspect of the Christian life, I think this understanding of prayer really shows why, because if faith is a relationship with God and God made man, Jesus Christ, I can't conceive of any relationship working properly if there isn't regular dialogue and communication between the two. Exactly. Yeah. As we've mentioned before on previous episodes, we both follow the movement of communion and liberation. And CL's founder, Father Dusani, I think has an understanding of prayer that helps us understand what this dialogue looks like and how it unfolds in our lives. So Father Giussani says over and over again that prayer is begging. Prayer is our heart begging for Christ to come to us and through us to the whole world. And as you said, God responds to us. Christ begs for our heart in return. Mm -hmm. And so prayer is this mutual exchange of love through this act of begging. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think this is a really valuable contribution because what is it that brings us to our knees in worship and praise of God and asking him for what we need in expressing our contrition over our sins? It's a recognition that we need him, that we depend on him, that this is what it means to be human, right, is to depend on God. Mm -hmm. And so this act of prayer is just this most natural outpouring of my human nature, of what it really is. My human nature is to depend, and prayer is the act that most fully expresses that. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And what that means is that our human freedom is at the heart of prayer. We pray because we need prayer. Mm -hmm. Our prayer does not add anything to God's glory, nor does it change his love for us. And yet, he delights in it precisely because, as Don Giussani says, He is begging for our hearts. He's waiting for us to come to him. Beautiful. Yeah. 
it is just this foreshadowing of what we'll live in heaven. Mm -hmm. When our begging for his heart, that'll be fulfilled because we'll be in his presence, gazing at his face. And his desire for our heart in turn, you know, God willing, if we make it to heaven, will also be answered. And so I think this captures why Christ tells us to pray without ceasing, um, because it is this expression of our essential relationship to the mystery, this dynamic of freely begging for him and begging for his love and being able to receive that love in turn. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And this dynamic is not only in our own lives, but it also describes all of salvation history, Mm. all of God's relationship with his people, Israel, who throughout history waited for him and begged for him and Salvation history also shows us his response to our begging, his response constantly through his presence and his word through the prophets and finally through his own son. Beautiful. I think that connection to Israel is really important. It's true. Like the Old Testament is just one big story of begging, you know, begging for a land, offspring, And God is faithful even when they're not. That's such a huge comfort to me in my own journey of learning how to pray and being unfaithful to God, but seeing that, as you said, he doesn't just keep his promises. He goes over and above and not only gives them the land that he had promised and the offspring he had promised, but Christ, his own son, offered on the cross and the countless offspring of all of the members of the church. So I think that here we see a really close connection between prayer and the hundredfold. Jesus in the gospel promises that whoever leaves anything for his name will receive a hundred times over. And I think that prayer is really where we start to see that this is true. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And yet, despite how fundamental prayer is to the Christian life and how perfectly it corresponds with our human nature, we still need to be educated in prayer. We need to learn how to pray. And even the apostles recognized this, right? They asked Christ, Lord, teach us how to pray. And that is when Christ gave us the Our Father and showed us how to approach God the Father. Yeah, his mercy, even in the act of teaching us how to pray. Yeah, I can definitely relate to their position of not knowing how to pray. I think I've often felt sort of speechless or incapable of expressing my love or my desire or my need to God and incapable in turn of receiving his answer. And so I think anyone who's honest with their experience sees that we don't naturally know how to pray and we need Christ to educate us. Mm -hmm. It's certainly true for me as well. And his assistance in educating us does not begin and end with his public mission and his teaching us the Our Father, but rather it continues through the life of the church. Right, exactly. That all of the forms and the rituals that the church gives us, the formal moments of prayer, but also the rich contemplative tradition Mm -hmm. of all of the saints of the church, all of this we can understand as Christ continuing to teach us how to pray, continuing to show us that there is a way to the Father, and we can enter into direct contact with God. Mm -hmm. And that's such a beautiful possibility. You mentioned contemplative prayer, which is the union of one's soul with God. 
and is a great grace given by the Holy Spirit for the benefit of the entire body of Christ and for the whole church. And this is so clear from the lives of saints like St. Teresa of Avila or St. John of the Cross, who in their contemplative union with God while on earth, really enriched the whole church's understanding of prayer. I entirely agree. I mean, I know they've helped me even just reading St. Teresa's Interior Castle or John of the Cross's poems. You know, while I can't relate entirely to their experiences of mystical union with God, I think that their insights about the nature of the human heart and the way that God can and does come into it are applicable to everyone. I think even beginners on the journey of prayer can experience the kind of delight and consolation Mm -hmm. that they write about and also the kinds of difficulty that they acknowledge. And so I think that you're exactly right that these highest gifts of union with God are given by the Holy Spirit for the sake of everyone. So what a gift it is that we're in the church and that we can, you know, reap the rewards, even if it isn't our particular experience that we're drawing from. Mm hmm. Exactly. And in thinking about these great saints and these mystics, it's so important to realize, as you alluded to, that when approaching our own prayer lives, we need to, first of all, discern intentionally how we are called to pray and grow in prayer in that particular time of our life. And it might look different from others. But also we need to be aware of our own limitations and our you know, beginner status. Prayer is a lifelong journey. And one thing I love about St. Teresa of Avila is she didn't learn to pray until she was 40 years old. And so when we begin to pray, when we grow in prayer, it's often through little ways, through learning to habitually beg for Christ. And it's beautiful to learn from this contemplative prayer and to have that in our mind as the way of perfection. But at the same time, like having our feet on the ground, so to speak, um, in our own limitations and in our own circumstances and start there in our own journey of prayer. I think you're right. Those two things go together, the humility to accept where we are in our journey of prayer, but also keeping in mind the great joy and delight that God has in store for the people who do undertake this journey and move towards those heights of union with him. I want to pick up on one phrase that you used there, the habitually beg for Christ. Mm -hmm. I think that's the perfect way to describe why we have all of these different forms of prayer that we engage in, why we pray at different times of the day, why we pray with different methods and with different people and alone. And because all of them are providing opportunities to make that begging for Christ more habitual to allow us to more readily recognize when we need him and where we need him to give us the life and the joy and the truth that we need. And so habitually begging for Christ, I I really like that as a way to understand the whole of the prayer life. Yeah, it's just learning that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's a really good way to move into talking about some of these specific forms in more detail. Before we start, I thought it would be good to mention that our discussion today is going to center mostly around different forms of prayer and how and why we found them beautiful and helpful in our own lives. But difficulties and dryness are also very real in our own journeys. So real, in fact, that we want to devote an entire episode just to that. 
So while this discussion that we're about to have might focus more on the constellations, please don't be deceived. (laughs) Yeah. There's a lot of difficulty and struggle involved as well. Yeah. This is only one part of the story. And to hear the other more difficult part of the story, you will need to stay tuned. Exactly. So when I think about my experience of prayer in my own life, I mean, I feel compelled to start with daily mass. Both because it's the highest experience, but also because it's literally the only one that is dictated by the schedules of other people. And so my whole prayer life takes shape around daily mass. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, I mean... We have to start there because, as the Catechism says, the Eucharist is the source and summit of the Christian life. Right. That's because in Mass, we are witnessing and participating in the representation of Christ's sacrifice to God the Father. And in my own life, my awareness of Christ, body, blood, soul, and divinity truly present in the Eucharist and my receiving the graces of that sacrament are what led me to seek him outside of mass in personal prayer. And then in turn, my personal prayer allowed me to love him in the mass even more. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. And if we think about what mass is, as you said, a representation of his sacrifice and his real presence on the altar, like, of course, this is at the center of a prayer life because prayer is the manifestation of our relationship. And... I always find it easier, you know, to talk to somebody in person rather than on the phone. Exactly. You know what I mean? And to think that Christ actually gives us his very body to consume. I mean, it's just, it's just a mystery. But a mystery, you're right, that really nourishes us and gives us food for the journey. Food for the journey of being his hands and feet in the world and for seeking his presence everywhere else. So I agree. I think Mass is for sure at the center. I started going to daily Mass the summer after my freshman year in college. I was down in Paraguay in Asuncion, the capital, volunteering at an orphanage and a school that were attached to a clinic for the terminally ill. This is a clinic that's run by a priest of CL, Aldo Trento. But I started going to Mass there because the suffering that I was encountering was so unlike anything I'd ever experienced personally that I needed an anchor or I wouldn't have had the strength to go back the next day. And it was shocking to me that I found this anchor to be the mass because this daily mass happened in this tiny chapel at the bottom of one of the clinics. I think it was the clinic for the mentally disabled. And during mass, we would often have the funerals of those who had been ill and died, whether they were children or elderly. And you could hear the cries of those who were suffering physically or mentally echoing in the chapel as we're hearing the readings and Father Aldo was saying the Eucharistic prayer. And so for me, this burned into my heart, the understanding that participating in the mass is participating in his sacrifice. And it means, Mm -hmm. to your point from our episode on suffering, It means participating in the cross and his redemptive act to save us. But at the same time, you know, the sweetness that I experienced in praying in those hours in the chapel and the strength that it gave me to go back and love these little kids that I was helping out with, that has also remained with me and burned into my heart this sense that Mm -hmm. his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Nourished by his real presence, 
we can continue to perform his mission on earth. So for me, yeah, since that summer, all throughout college, I I made an effort to go to daily mass Mm -hmm. every day. And it's much easier now that I'm in graduate school to organize my schedule around it. But there was something beautiful at Notre Dame about having what, like 31 different masses to choose from? Six in the morning to 10.30 p.m. there was a mass. Yeah, I miss that. That's really beautiful, Sophie. And also what a grace that you were able to have that honestly so early on in your adult life. For me instead, daily mass was a habit that I built over the course of many years. I started with just one extra mass, so two per week, and then three or four times a week, And now I try to go every day if possible. And in that time, I also had periods of months where my work made it impossible to go. I would have to travel to these tiny towns in the middle of nowhere with super inconvenient times and would even have to ask special permission to attend mass on holy days of obligation. So I want to acknowledge that daily mass isn't a possibility for everybody, whether it's a similar work circumstance or family obligations, say you have young children, or geographically where you live. But if you're in those situations, even your desire for mass and for Jesus in the Eucharist can be a beautiful prayer offered to God. Also, aside from my external circumstances, The change was slow because that's often how real change happens in our lives, Mm -hmm. even though it's a great gift when it's instantaneous. But throughout this time, I kept going back because I knew that there was no substitute for the mass. There is no substitute for the mass. Only the mass has this sacramental reality that we've been talking about. As Christ himself tells us, we use his words at the consecration. This is my body. This is my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in memory of me. And again, to use the words of the Eucharistic prayer, it is right and just to give him thanks for our salvation by our participation at mass. It's what we were made for. It's really a taste of heaven. So this knowledge and of course, the grace of the Holy Spirit is what sustained me through this long journey of reordering my life around the Mass. And another reason was that at a time in my life so full of transitions and continual change, the universal nature of the Mass was such a comfort to me and really made Mass feel like home to me because everywhere I went at any time, the Mass was the same, with the same prayers, the same readings, the same sacramental reality. I mean, your example perfectly shows that the mass for you was in an entirely different language and in a foreign culture. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because Christ instituted this and it's something that from the very, something that hasn't changed from the very first centuries of the church. Yeah, I think that's a really important point that we don't choose how to talk to God. (laughs) Yeah, actually just last week um, at my parish, One day during daily mass, the person next to me was saying the responses in Portuguese. And the next day, there was a woman who was using sign language to say the responses back. Oh, my word. And that's not a normal occurrence to me. It was was very rare that it happened two different days in a row. But it was so beautiful to be united with these people who I shared nothing with. We couldn't even communicate with each other. And yet we're united in the sacrifice of Christ and in the mass. That's beautiful. That's striking to me, perhaps especially because it underscores that it's not about 
what we accomplish. Our salvation is something that's given to us. And the presence of Christ is something that comes to us, not something that we go seize hold of. There is this element of searching, of course, but ultimately it's Christ's initiative in my life. It's his choice of me. That's what creates our relationship. I think that comes out clearly in your example. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, if I go back to that summer I spent in Paraguay, it reminds me that the other practice of prayer that I began there is regular Eucharistic adoration. Mm -hmm. For those who aren't familiar with it, it's a practice that's I think about 600 years old, but it's the practice of displaying a consecrated host, so the real presence of Jesus, in this monstrance, which is an ornate, precious metal, basically like a big frame that we put on the altar. And often there's incense and songs of praise and time for silent prayer of just adoring our Lord. And it's not offered, you know, everywhere and at every time. And so when I am able to go to Eucharistic adoration, It is just such a source of consolation for me. There's nothing like having his real presence displayed before you to really draw out the deepest prayers of your heart and to remind you that he is present within you as well and continues to be faithful to his promise to never leave the church. Yeah, that's so true of my own experience too. And I mean, you and I always joke that adoration is the gateway drug to silent prayer because... (laughs) (laughs) Because... What it is, is a gaze of love. You gaze with love upon Christ, your Savior, and He gazes back at you. It's such a beautiful experience. For me too, my most intimate moments of prayer have been in adoration, like Mary who sits at the feet of Jesus, just soaking in His presence. And it's not a coincidence that at the heart of our prayer life is an experience of love, because that's what prayer is. Prayer is animated by love. Absolutely. Love between you and the one who created you and sustains you in being Mm -hmm. and saves you from your sin, but also love between members of his body. As we said before, you know, prayer is not an individualized experience, but something that the whole pilgrim church offers to her bridegroom, Jesus Christ, and he offers to the Father. And I think that Eucharistic adoration actually drives this movement as well. On the face of it, it might look like an individualized form of prayer because it's usually silent. People often go alone. Sometimes it's just you and the Blessed Sacrament, which rocks. But I think I'm not alone in experiencing this dynamic in which the gaze of Christ on me that you're talking about, this gaze of love, drives me to love my brothers and sisters in Christ in a way that I never could without that because Mm -hmm. it doesn't come naturally to me. But You know, I think back to an all-night vigil that I organized here in Cambridge last February, literally right before the pandemic hit. And we had, I think, 12 continuous hours of Eucharistic adoration. Mostly, you know, my prayer was just this silent gaze and watching other people also come in and out and adore our Lord. Mm -hmm. And I had a love for them in that moment that has remained with me ever since and has helped me look on others with a greater charity. But this dynamic has been present from the start after some time of prayer in general, but adoration in particular. I have this desire to make known his love for that person through my own words and actions and my own poor attempts at charity. Mm -hmm, mm Yeah. Yeah, that's beautiful. I want to mention we're talking a lot about resting in the presence of Christ and experiencing his loving gaze, but that's not where I started with 
adoration nor in my personal prayer life. Yeah, me neither. I started really simply with just talking to God, bringing to him my thanksgiving for his gifts, my praise for his majesty, my intercessions, and even just sharing of myself, telling Christ what was going on, and not just vocally or mentally, but also in the form of journaling and writing all this down. I think this, of course, can be done anywhere, but adoration offers a really special place to do so because you are in the presence of Christ. And this form of self-disclosure, as we mentioned, it doesn't add anything to God's love for us or knowledge of us because everything we tell him, he already knows. But it has been so freeing to me to enter into this relationship, to express my gratitude to God and also to unload difficulties on him and have him comfort me in return. I entirely agree. That's where I started as well and sometimes still how I pray. Yeah, I don't think it's ever anything that we should outgrow. Yeah, I agree. (laughs) I agree. I read in the catechism the other day this really provocative line that we should venerate the sacred scriptures as we venerate Christ's body in the Eucharist, which is true because it's the living word of God. Um, But I was thinking about how quickly sometimes, you know, I rush through the words of the reading or, or of the gospel without really savoring them. And I think that this points to another really important avenue to prayer, which I know has been pivotal in my own life, which is Lexio Divina, the practice of prayerfully reading the words of the Bible and allowing them to become a place of dialogue with God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I completely agree. And my experience with Lexio Divina and the words of scripture has been really pivotal in my own prayer life. I had been trying to build more formal practices of prayer for a number of years, but it had always been a seemingly dry experience. And one summer, I decided to do so by working through the Gospel of John and doing Lexio Divina. And it was such an experience of God's living word for me, how it helped me live the life of the church and my own life in such a real grace-filled way. And I truly fell in love with Christ in the gospels. And it brought all of scripture to life for me. And really the words of Psalm 119, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. And later talking about the sweetness like honey of the promises of God I truly experienced that and that helped me recommit myself to the other practices I had been trying to do and open my eyes to their beauty in a way that I just hadn't seen before. Stunning. Yeah, the scriptures really are a place of encounter with Christ. I'm partial to Lexio Divina in part because, as many of our listeners will know, I spent a summer at a Benedictine abbey and Lexio Divina comes from the Benedictine tradition. It was St. Benedict who told his monks that they should be engaged in this kind of sacred reading. And it's over, you know, the 14 centuries of Benedictine tradition that this process was refined and standardized and given as a gift for the entire church. So what it looks like for our listeners who might not be familiar with Lexio Divina, it takes place through four steps. First, 
you read the passage of scripture that you've chosen to pray with, and you don't immediately try to form judgments about it or ask what God's telling you through it. You just read the passage and let whatever strikes you strike you. The second is meditating on the passage and really allowing the Holy Spirit to draw your attention to those images or themes or words that God has prepared for you today. And then the third step is praying. So offering the word that you've received from the Holy Spirit back to God and articulating to him what you feel he's generated in your heart through this encounter with his word. And then the fourth is meditation, which, as you said, is a gift, a grace that's given to us at some times and sometimes not. But meditation on God himself and just resting in his presence in gratitude and adoration for who he is. Yeah, that's a great description. And while it might sound a little formulaic at first, I find that once you get in the habit, it really comes naturally and you're able to enter into this kind of prayer without feeling like you have a bunch of interruptions to figure out what the next step is. Yeah, it's not a checklist for sure. I think while we're on the topic of scripture, that my encounter with God through his living word has really become more habitual through my practice of praying the liturgy of the hours. So I was wondering if we could talk about that for a bit. Yeah, I love it. Go for it. So the liturgy of the hours, which is also known as the divine office, is called the prayer of the church. And it's a set of seven hours or seven moments of prayer throughout the day and night at which you pray a specified set of psalms or readings or writings from sacred authors. And this changes based on what day it is and what time of year it is. So it's a prayer that's constantly changing, but that you're always praying in unity with the rest of the church. Yeah, the Liturgy of the Hours is so beautiful, and it really is the prayer of the whole church. I think it can be often viewed as the activity of solely priests and religious, um, and that's not a new misconception, but the church really does invite the entire body of Christ into its prayer. Yeah, you and I both pray it, and we're not, uh, and we're not priests and religious, so. Exactly. So priests and many religious are obligated to pray the full office, which means all seven time points, all seven hours of the divine office. But you could just pick up one. Mm -hmm. And in fact, a lot of the faithful pray morning prayer. That's considered probably the most important of all of the seven hours because it consecrates your entire day in praise of God. I find that when I started praying morning prayer, it really started, it started my mornings with the right orientation, like the right horizon in mind um, for the rest of my day. Not that like it solved all my problems, of course, but there's just something about starting your day with gratitude and praise of God's glory that really, I think, helps you accept the difficulties that you're going to face and look for God in the little things. Um, So I would highly recommend that if someone's interested in starting to pray the liturgy of the hours to to start with morning prayer. Mm Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mentioned in one of our previous episodes my love of the Psalms, and I learned this love from praying the Liturgy of the Hours because, as you mentioned, there's a number of excerpts from Scripture and prayers, but each hour includes various Psalms. And in praying them throughout my day, 
scripture and in particular the Psalms really became like a soundtrack to my life. And I find that the words of scripture enter into my heart and mind more spontaneously as a reaction to whatever reality is in front of me. For example, the trip that you and I, Sophia, did to Wyoming last summer, we went on a backpacking trip. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And we prayed the liturgy of the hours throughout our days. And, you know, when we would see a beautiful landscape or the night sky, we would speak the words of scripture to praise God for that. I think this example also speaks to another thing I find so beautiful about praying the Liturgy of the Hours is its communal aspect. This was something that you and I could share, and we could share in using the words of Scripture to praise God. I totally agree. I think back to that time in Wyoming as, you know, kind of a paradigm of how I should pray the Liturgy of the Hours always. And I have a long way to go in this, as in most things in the spiritual life. Same. But when the Psalms do provide a soundtrack to my day, I find that I'm more aware of God's presence within it. And to pick up on what you were saying there at the end, I think that the communal aspect of the Liturgy of the Hours is really important because there are times in the life of every Christian believer when we feel far from God or weighed down by our burdens and sorrows, as you talked about during the episode on suffering. Mm -hmm. And to know that the entire body of Christ is praying this prayer to God the Father, these words of the Psalms begging for relief and begging for consolation, or even the words of praising him when you feel that you can't because you're too much in sorrow. For me, this is a big consolation. And it reminds me of the fact that I'm not saved alone. You know, I'm part of a church that's being brought to heaven. And, you know, thank God, because if I didn't have this companionship, this objective presence of Christ continuing in history, I just would be lost and probably constantly in despair. Yeah, me too. And I think it's worth pointing out that this experience of having prayer permeate your life is not only possible through praying the Liturgy of the Hours. Mm -hmm. Prayer is any raising of the heart and mind to God. And that can be as simple as stopping what you're doing and acknowledging his presence or saying other small prayers that take only a second or two. You know, there's the Jesus prayer, Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner, or come Holy Spirit, or the Mother Teresa's Mary, be a mother to me now, or something that you come up with yourself as an expression of your heart in that particular moment. And I think that that, while seemingly very simple and very easy, is actually a really important part of prayer. Mm -hmm. I totally agree. Christ himself tells us that God knows better than we do what our needs are. And I take comfort in that when I realize that it's not the multiplication of many words that God wants or a perfectly articulated prayer. What he wants is my contrite heart and my humble spirit in the words of Psalm 51. And that's a big comfort for me. And it also reminds me that I can pray no matter what I'm doing, you know, washing the dishes, driving, taking a break from work. There's no time of day or activity that's off limits from God's presence and therefore no time that I can't be praying. Christ prayed to God the Father from the cross, enduring the agony of crucifixion. Like, I think I can probably pray while I'm washing the dishes. Yeah, that's so true. 
And going back for a second to Mother Teresa's prayer that I mentioned, I think that Mary's intercession is so important here as an example of a life lived in union with God, even while she was on earth. And she always leads us to her son, including in our prayer life. One example of this is, of course, the rosary, but also Marian devotion in general, which we actually might talk about in a future episode. I think that's a really good point. I mean, God could have plucked her out of Palestine and sent her to a monastery and had her in contemplative rapture for the rest of her life, but he didn't. You know, as far as we know, she just continued her ordinary life taking care of the beloved disciple after Christ entrusted them to one another from the cross. And that's a big comfort to me, too, because she knew what it was like to try to pray and bring Christ into the world in the ordinariness of daily experience and caring for a family and doing work. She is the one through whom God entered the world, and she always wants to be one through whom Christ can enter the lives of each and every one of her children still on earth. And, you know, growing up, I didn't have a devotion to Mary, or I found the rosary to be very boring, to be quite honest, because it's so darn repetitive. But, you know, I think... It was through begging for relationship with Mary and to feel like she was my mother that I think I started to pray it in a different way and to really be grateful for the repetitive prayer that enabled my mind to calm down and really focus on the mysteries that we contemplate during the rosary, which are the mysteries of the life of Christ. And so, as you said, Mary always brings us to our son. Yeah, you know that St. Therese, who is a doctor of the church, said that she always used to fall asleep when she was praying the rosary. So you're you're in good company. (laughs) But when we're talking about Marian devotion, the other thing I really love about the rosary is how scriptural it is. The Hail Mary itself is taken from directly from Luke, from the words of the angel at the Annunciation and the words of Elizabeth at the Visitation. And it includes the Our Father. And of course, the core of the rosary is meditating on the life of Christ as revealed to us through scripture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've come around in the end. <laughs> um, so as we near the end of our episode here, we've talked about a number of different forms of prayer that I think are each uniquely beautiful and each different paths through which God, the mystery, can teach us how to enter into dialogue with him. But it's often not possible or not prudent to make all of these regular forms of prayer for any one individual. Um, at least not in the same season of life, perhaps. So if we were to really distill and say I gave you five minutes for prayer in one day, like what would you do with those five minutes? What do you think the essential is? Mm -hmm. So I would say it is essential to always start by quieting your mind and heart and kind of letting go of the distractions that might be around you or other thoughts that you might have. And then recognizing the presence of Christ, whether before you in the Eucharist or in your own heart, and then to place yourself and all of your needs before him and ask him for his blessing and for his help. Simple as that. And I also think that what you're saying is really wise. Always in my prayer life, I have times where I do not plan one practice or another and just let myself be moved by the Holy Spirit in whatever way that he is asking me to enter into dialogue that particular day. I think it's really easy to 
want to be like spiritual heroes and take on every single practice and have this rigid checklist of prayer. But all God wants is our time and our presence and our hearts. And these practices that we've mentioned can be good instruments to give him that time and that presence, but they're not the ends in and of themselves. Mm -hmm. I think that's a great way to put it. Yeah. The God we're worshiping is God himself, not our prayer life. Right. Right. Well, on that note, maybe we could end with our, our weekly challenge and our media recommendation. What do you think? Yeah, that sounds great. So for our weekly challenge, I have something a little bit different for us this week. Our weekly challenge is to download Hallow. And Hallow is an app that draws on this rich contemplative tradition of the church and uses modern technology to help us learn new forms of prayer and to help us better incorporate prayer in our daily lives. Yeah, Hallow is amazing. And we should probably mention that it was started by some dear friends of ours from Notre Dame. And we couldn't be more proud of how they're changing lives and putting their gifts in the service of the kingdom of God. So that's our weekly challenge. And for our media recommendation, I wanted to propose a song because I do love praying with music. And it's a form of prayer that we haven't mentioned yet on this episode. But specifically, I want to recommend the song Layla, which is a Galician song, and those who are in CL will be familiar with it. But I wanted to read a quick translation um, because I think that the words of the song really capture the attitude of the heart before God, begging for his presence and begging for his love. So these are the lyrics. The clouds are crying for a love that is died. The roads are drenched with rain. Layla, Layla, for whom I'm dying, I want to see myself in your beautiful eyes. Do not leave me. Have compassion on me. Without you, I cannot live. Please let me breathe in some of your words. Let me taste the sweetness of your heart. Shine on me the light of your eyes. With your sweet love, give me life. Wow. So beautiful. So let us know what you think of Hallow or of Layla or of our discussion. We would love to hear from you. Our email account is in the show notes, as is our show's Instagram page. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of prayer. Know that we are praying for all of you and please keep us in your prayers as well. We hope to see you next week for another episode of The Pilgrim Soul.